I would like to begin with asking, who here in the audience has heard of the Mars One program? Please raise your hand. So I'd say at least 50%. So for those of you who don't know what the Mars One program is, uh, it's a mission that's intending to go to Mars one way. So you can make the whole trip a lot simpler if you just go there and don't plan on coming back. No government would dare to propose such a mission. Uh, but you might wonder, how many people would really sign up for such a, a thing? Well, 200,000 people applied to be on that mission. From that, about 1,000 were shortlisted, uh, 700, uh, 700 passed the medical exam, and right now, there are about 100 candidates left. So you might be wondering, as I was, you know, what does it take to get onto this list? And I can give you a, a, some tips. Here's a profile which would get you onto that list. You could start out with a, a Bachelor of Science from Curtin University. Then you could become a scuba diving instructor and also do uh, shark dive leading. Then you could join uh, the Australian Army, be a combat engineer, a Navy diver, and a Royal Marine commando. Then you might get bored of that and become a studio technician, do napalm work for music videos for you too. Uh, then become a comedian and dress up like a koala and do a bunch of comedy shows. And uh, ultimately, you could apply to be an astronaut, and then they would say, you're in the top 100. That's an awesome job. So please welcome me in joining a physicist, spacecraft engineer, comedian, and astronaut candidate, Joss Richards, to the stage. Thank you. I had a lot of problems planning who I was going to speak to, or speak about tonight. Uh, I have a lot of different science heroes. Um, understandably, quite a few of them are astronauts as well. Uh, I could have gone with something really simple, like Chris Hadfield, everyone loves, you know, guitar playing, Canadian in space. Uh, could have gone with Neil Armstrong, you know, the stern, quiet guy who was the first one to set foot on the moon. But everyone knows them. Everyone already talks about them. They're already everywhere. I could have talked about some of the less well-known ones. I love spacewalkers. I've always had a massive fascination in the guys who actually walk in space. So I could have talked about someone like Ed White, who was the first American to walk in space, who rather famously described as he was climbing back into the capsule that it was the saddest moment in his life because he was going to have to leave the vision of Earth behind that he had. Or I could talk about his Russian counterpart, Alexei Leonov, who was actually the first man to ever walk in space, who didn't have such a great time. He, uh, he kind of climbed outside, spent about 12 minutes, was up to his knees in sweat uh, because his suit was overheating, then discovered his suit had expanded to the point where he couldn't get back inside the airlock. So he let some air out of his suit to get back inside. Who's familiar with the bends are from diving? Yeah. Try getting that in space. Uh, still had issues with the airlock. They managed to sort of get everything inside, but they'd actually passed the point where they were supposed to start re-entering, and they were 42 seconds late in getting the capsule set up. Doesn't sound like a lot of time, uh, but it wound up that they landed 400 kilometres off course from where they were supposed to. So instead of landing on the nice sort of the flat ground out on the, on the, the Russian steppes and that sort of stuff, they landed in the middle of a forest in Siberia, where it was currently both wolf and bear mating season. So they were particularly aggressive. It was dropping to minus 25, and their hatch popped open as soon as they landed. 
It was fine, though, because they had ammunition for their pistol, so Alexei Leonov became the first bear-killing astronaut. <laughs> Rock on. Uh, they did rescue the guys out, and they got them out and all that sort of stuff, but um, I, I want to talk about someone else, um, someone who was grumpy, was surly, was stubborn, ultra-competitive. I want to talk about a physicist, because, um, frankly, they're some of the grumpiest pricks you'll meet. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk about someone who never walked on the moon, uh, ne certainly didn't shoot a bear, um, never even walked in space. Sally Ride was described by one of her teachers as being uh, far too scientific um, and you know, having no creative skill whatsoever and that she'd be wasted in science uh, because she didn't have any creativity at all. She kind of went, you know what? You're a science teacher in high school, go to hell, and uh, decided to become a physicist anyway. So she went through, she got a, a degree in, uh, a bachelor in English and in physics at the same time, went on, did her master's at Stanford in physics. While she was studying in her PhD, doing, you know, casual PhD physics work, looking at how X-rays move through interstellar mediums, she saw a little advert in one of the Stanford newsletters uh, for NASA. They were calling for their first open applications. She was applying to the astronaut class of 1978. She was one of 8,000 8, people who applied, and she was one of 35 who got through it. She didn't straight away get assigned. When you first join an astronaut corps, you don't immediately get assigned to a mission. You spend about 12 months. Back then, you spent 12 months learning how to become an astronaut first. So after she'd completed her initial training, she went in, she became a capsule communicator for STS-2 and 3, so the second and third shuttle launches. She was the one talking to the folks who were up in space at the time. She was also involved with the developing the robotic arm that went on the space shuttle in later launches. Uh, so very much involved with the people, very much involved with the robotics and those sort of things. And then she was assigned to STS-7. So the seventh launch into space. Now, this was a big deal for everyone in the US because they were sending their very first American woman into space. Uh, and obviously, the media approached this in a very sensible and, and even-handed way by asking her questions like, do you think the flight will affect your reproductive system? Uh, and the NASA engineers turned around to her and sort of said, you know, if you happen to get your period up there, uh, you know, is 100 tampons going to be enough for your week-long mission? <laughs> and she said it would be fine. So <laughs> Sally Ride took all this in a stride. She dealt with a lot of criticism. Um, she wasn't particularly out outspoken. Uh, she saw herself, first and foremost, not as a woman going to space, but as an astronaut. She wanted to be an astronaut first. Um, and she did exceptionally well. That first mission that she was involved with, STS-7, she uh, deployed two different satellites, and she's the first person to use the robotic arm that was on board the ship. Uh, she was then involved with another launch, uh, STS-441G, which was about 12 months later, and uh, deployed another, another satellite and did fantastic work in the process. She was in the process of training for her third launch into space when the Challenger accident happened. So rather than going on to prepare and, and training to, for this, this launch that wasn't going to happen, she became part of the board that actually investigated what went wrong when Challenger exploded. 
and she was one of the few people who supported some of the more outspoken members who, for Morton Thicol, the people who built the boosters that exploded, the ones who'd been saying for weeks and months beforehand that there was something wrong, that these, these boosters were possibly going to explode. She was the ones who was out there supporting those guys when the rest of the company shunned them. After the Challenger uh, accident, she was then involved in, she was basically sidelined. Um, there wasn't necessarily going to be another flight that she was going to be involved with. She was moved off into NASA's strategic planning. So she then became involved, which later on became known as the Ride Report. Has anyone here ever heard of the Ride Report? You should have. Every single one of you should have, because if the US had followed the ride report, if they'd followed the, set, the guidelines that were laid down, we would have had humans on Mars by 2010. As it is, they were talking about having a permanent colony on Mars in the 2020s and sending missions 10 years before that. We would have had a crew of 30 living permanently on the moon by 2010. Uh, they were talking about more probes to explore more of the, our solar system, S probes that we're only just now developing to plan for launches in the 2030s and the 2040s. So had that ride report been followed, we would have had a very different vision of the solar system that we live in right now. Sally Wright got frustrated and uh, after nine years pulled the pin on NASA and uh, decided to, to leave. She still had a position as a massive ambassador for women in science. So rather than just cutting ties altogether, she became a professor uh, in physics. She became a huge ambassador. She started Sally Ride Science and was primarily focused on keeping women between 10 and 15 studying science while they went through high school. She worked so hard in terms of science education. She continued to be involved with, with NASA operations and outreach and all that sort of stuff for decades afterwards, after she'd left the organisation that had essentially messed around in the first place by ignoring the recommendations she'd made. Sally Ride died three years ago this month. Um, she'd been battling with pancreatic cancer for 18 months and had told no one about it. Uh, she'd always been very private, as part of the reason why people thought she was surly, why they, people thought that she was cold. Uh, she'd always wanted to keep her private life private and essentially be an astronaut first. That was always her focus, to be a representative for our species in space. She was also, it wasn't until after her, her obituary was published that it turned out that she'd had a same-sex partner for 27 years. Um, again, astronaut first, private life private. Uh, and her partner was, in fact, the woman that had co-founded uh, Sally Ride Science with her but that had all been kept quiet. So Sally Ride was actually the first LGBT astronaut as well. I get asked on a fairly regular basis if I end up being the first person to set foot on Mars, what my first words would be, what, what I would say. And I always turn around to journalists whenever they ask it and say that I don't actually want to be the first person to set foot on another planet. I want to be in the capsule next to one of the women that's been inspired by what Sally Ride did um, so that I can be there to witness her set foot on another planet and be the first representative of our, us for that first monumental step. So I would all encourage you to look up what Sally Ride has been up to um, and remember her um, this month, three years after she died. Thank you.